Kia ora, I'm Maria. I'm Māori and Pakia. And I'm Kate. And I'm Iranian-Australian. And you're listening to Being Biracial. The podcast all about navigating the world as a biracial person. We want to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on the unceded sovereign lands of the Bunurong and Woiwurrung peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation. And we offer our respect to Elders past present and those yet to come. And we also really acknowledge the traditional owners from whatever lands you're on today. And if you don't know whose land you're on, this is the only time during the podcast that I will tell you to put down your phone and go and Google it, please. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today we are going to be chatting to Elijah Money about being biracial. Elijah Money is a queer Wiradjuri brother boy who has been raised on the Kulin Nations and continues to reside here. His practice includes visual art, written work, installations, performance art and more and more and more and more and more. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of his practice focuses on themes such as colonisation, assimilation, skin colour, gender mental illness, sexuality, climate change, stolen generations, identity, as well as critiquing the Eurocentric Western idealised structure that each person in so-called Australia is forced to maintain. Basically everything that we want to talk in about in every episode of Being Biracial. And in depth well, at all times. <laughs> Stunning. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> so Elijah, we always kick off the pod by asking, what is your mix? So my mix is uh, Wiradjuri um, from my dad's side. And then my mum is ambiguously white. Um, (laughs) We love. And she is, you know, of course, so lovely. But, yeah, really, really loves to talk about, you know, her pretend whiteness. And, like, she has these beautiful fantasies of um, not being white. Um, Ah! Like, for many years told us that we were Egyptian. Oh, from her side? Yeah, but that just, like, wasn't true, which was very quirky. God bless. But, yes, so I grew up for many years being like, yeah, like, I have, like, 16 nationalities. And then I only found out in the past maybe five years that that was a lie. How did that come up? My mom did a DNA Oh my god! And I was like, "That is the most white woman vibe." Like, yes. fuck, it was really funny. And she was like, "Yeah, would you ever consider doing one?" And I was like, "Absolutely not. Not for me. Not for me. No, no, really, not my vibe." Yeah. And so she got the results, and she was so disappointed. She was like, "I wish I'd never done this." You know, it's all <laughs> it's all Irish and English. Yeah. And I'm like, so I'm "Yeah, ask. lol, babe." Like, checks the fuck out. Um. Yeah, so <laughs> that is my mix. Are your parents, were they together? Yeah, so my parents were together. They're no longer together. Mm. Um, they were together for like 20 years or something wild um, and broke up when I was about 13. How did they meet? Look, it's not really explicitly spoken about, but what is indicated is that it was a one-night stand and that my mum's friendship group at the time they were always like date 
why did you go sleep with James? Like, James sucks. Oh. Like, he was like this out, yeah, just not very cool and like very daggy and like, yeah, look. They were always like, no, why did you end up with James? Not this. Out of all of these beautiful people, this is the guy? Um, yeah, and then she got knocked up. And they got married, the classics, and, you know, fell into that guilty old mindset of like, well, if I'm pregnant, I better get married and, you know, settle down and start my little special nuclear family. Um, So, yeah, they were together for for a while. How did you feel when you found out that you weren't half Egyptian in (laughs) some instance? (laughs) Alan Fair, I swear to God. No, it was funny, like, the... Growing up, we always knew that, like, my dad is Wiradjuri, um, but he had a really bizarre relationship with that, um, which I'm sure we'll also touch on. Um, But it was funny because at the time we, you know, we tried to do, like, percentages, right, which is so gross, so eugenics-y. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, very that and very – yeah, yuck. Cr- bit cringe. I mean, so me too. We've all, yeah. Right? We've all had those moments. And, like, you know, the blood percentage and, like, it just makes me think about, like, blood quantum in, yep. like, yeah, that Native American folk have to fucking navigate all the time. With that, you know, I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Like, this this much of me is, like, black. Like, oh, neon, yeah. Fuck yeah, let's go. But, yeah, in saying that, like, I also do be looking white as fuck. And so... Um, it was almost like this weird unspoken secret for a very long time that we didn't really acknowledge and, like, my dad didn't grow up um, practising culture. Um, but, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your dad and his relationship with being Aboriginal. Oh, yeah. Ooh. I I have no contact with him anymore. Mm. Last time I spoke to him, I was 19. And, yeah, I blocked his number everywhere. And that's a vibe. But I think he had a very difficult understanding and relationship with it um, in the sense of, you know, he was raised by a single dad. His mum was Radjuri, um, and she left when he was five. So there was a lot of confusion and questions for a very long time. His dad was also 18. Whoa. So, like, fuck. Yeah. Small town vibes. Don't know if you can taste it. Layers on layers on layers. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so he didn't have somebody who was practicing culture around him and being raised. I mean, I kind of relate to his mm. story in that I didn't have somebody practicing culture around me and mm. was raised by somebody who really didn't look like me, mm. who really didn't understand the challenges that I was going through. Um, so I can totally understand that. And how has his relationship with that affected how you identify? Mm, it's really interesting. I feel like his relationship from when I last saw him was that he thought that rehashing and kind of talking about trauma equated to his Aboriginality and didn't understand that, like, there's so much more and there's so much healing that is there for him if he wanted to. But instead he's like, nah, it just means I can say the N-word. And I'm like, oh, boy. Just the wrong takeaway from Ooh. that. Right. I'm like, damn, girl. You know, look, that being said, I haven't spoken to this man in a very long time. Mm. So last I heard, he's um, part of a local acting group and he's, like, back in his hometown. So 
I'm like, pop off. Slay sis, maybe you're doing some things. Maybe you're having a healing journey, but we don't need to be in touch to do that. Right? I'm like, you do you. Love this for you. This is great. But I'm going to just stay over here. Um, But in terms of, like, me and my sister relating, like, it was very much always a thing. Like, we spoke about being mob in high school, primary school, all of that. But I think we also felt such a deep sense of – I don't want to speak for my sister, actually. Mm. I'll speak for myself. Mm. Yeah. Um, I always felt like there was, like, something missing and I was really confused why that was and I was a very angsty teenager. I was very naughty. Failed year 10. Or was very cranky. Um, And then leaving home at 18 uh, on Bunurang and then moving to Nam was – just a space where I was like, fuck yeah, let's go. I can actually do whatever the fuck I want to do. And now I'm like, I'm so blessed and so obsessed to be linked in with the community that I'm in now and being able to connect with local mob here or like people like me who have just come from like different spaces across the continent and are able to kind of reconnect and kind of talk about the similar, similar experiences of like, I'm not on country, but I'm so blessed to be around other black fellows. So yeah, it's, I suppose like for my sister and I, it's been this huge like reclamation in a sense of like, just because our father is a bit of a piece of shit doesn't mean that we have to perpetuate that and continue that and we can DIY what that looks like for us mm. and do our own healing. Yeah. yeah. How was it received at like school? And it sounds like you came from a small town. Mm. Um, how was it received for you to be saying that you were mob? Because you just mentioned that you that you're pretty white passing. Oh shit, yeah. yeah. Like I like oh my god. I always it was very funny. People would always like even my friends were like, No. <laughs> no, you. you just want scholarships, don't you? Literally <laughs> that. Literally that. Being like, Wow, that's a really cool deal you've got. You get a scholarship and you get to like do all this stuff. I'm like, what the fuck? The government's got handouts for you, right? Uh, I'm like, I fucking wish, bub. Like, where is my free car? <laughs> yeah. Fuck these people. Pay my fucking rent. Yes. Oh, you're paying the Land. rent? What about mine? <laughs> Fuck me. Like, oh, I pay fucking rent to a landlord on stolen land. Where's the sovereignty? Nah, gammon, gammon. But, like, yeah, it's – it was interesting, like, in high school because it wasn't – I was just so – I was a very chaotic teenager, so I feel like – you know, I started drinking when I was like 13, 14 and very, very party boy. Um, and so it didn't really come up. And because my dad was a deadbeat, is a deadbeat, lol. Um, <laughs> present tense. Present tense. I'm yeah. like, that man still exists somewhere. Yeah. Um, and my mom, you know, tried where she could, but really didn't have the skills or the understanding or the knowledge. Um, so it didn't really come up. Um, until my school kind of clocked that I was Aboriginal and then they're like, do you want to do the acknowledgement of country at our assembly? And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Of course. Right. Of course. And I'm very sweaty and nervous and I'm like, I don't even know if this is okay. Like you've just handed me a script and I have no relationship to this script and I'm just like shaking my little boots Mm -hmm. in front of 2,000 kids. Like – Hi, I'd like to come to you today and acknowledge that we are on the land of Bunurang people. And, like, I was like, what the fuck? And the 
I remember like the racial guidance counselor or something. What the fuck? Anyway, oh God. Of Ooh. course, a white woman. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Just asked me. And clearly, like in retrospect, it was so that they could try and get funding. Fuck those people. <sighs> Crikey. Um, it was like, yeah, like did this interview and basically asked me to just rehash so much trauma. And I remember after school that day, um, my mum was like, what the actual fuck? That sounds horrific. And then called them up and was like, you cannot use any of that. My child will not be part of this. Like, absolutely not. That is not even my story to be telling, like, let alone this white woman that's just, like, pulled it out of me. Like, yeah. So, yeah. Look. Just a touch of tokenization. Oh, truly. And I'm, like, out of this school of, yeah, like, 2,000 people, there was, like, fuck, five people of colour. Like, Jesus Christ. The Mornington Peninsula is statistically the whitest place in Victoria. Oh, and that's where you grow up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good for your mum. Yeah. To be honest. Like, yeah. I'm impressed by that mm. from her. Yeah. Mm. She she is a bit of a legend. Like, she's great and she knew when to put her foot down and, you know, support in the ways that she knew she could. And that was one of them. And that was really great. And definitely a pivotal moment of being like, oh, fuck. Now I'm thinking about everything that I said and I'm thinking about what that means. And mum did good. Mum did real good. Yeah. Because you don't know if they're going to have your back or not. Fully. Yeah. So that that must have been quite lovely. It was really nice. And, like, yeah, it was actually my mum who was doing a lot more of, like, you know, Ancestry.com and, like, <laughs> God bless her, um, trying to, like, help my dad navigate his – lineage and like his family because like you know disconnection la 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 stolen generation la 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 um and was like the pioneer ew pioneer what a fucking <laughs> weird, weird way to put that i'm screaming oh um was leading haha that and yeah was really pivotal in creating what i know now about my mob so, yeah, she did do really good. Earlier you said you've kind of been going through this reclamation process. Mm. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that has been like? Mm. Yeah, damn. Um, yeah, it was that thing of, uh, you know, talking about in high school and, like, some of my best friends now, like, said some things previously that were pretty pretty problematic and a little bit traumatising, to be honest. Um, and you know, with that, it was learning how I can actually use my voice and learning different theories and different concepts and, like, broadening my horizons, generally in university, classic. Mm. Um, and kind of ironic as well because, so like, uni is a white. The hell. Yeah. They're literally these girl boss gatekeep, gentrified, <laughs> like, gaslight institutions that are millionaires. I'm mm. like, oh, cool. Um, but, yeah, it was through there and, like, connecting with, like, uh, yeah, First Nation lecturers and students that I was like, oh, okay, so, like, my experiences are not unique, but it also meant that 
through doing the course that I'm doing, lol. So I study uh, Indigenous Studies at Melbourne Uni. I'm finally, finally finishing my degree. Woohoo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, through that, have been able to gain all these skills and this language and this understanding of being like, actually, not only am I going to defend myself, but defend everyone around me and be able to just like put assholes in their place. And, you know, as a teenager, I'd like, try where I could to call out racism and sexism and like all my favorite isms. And then, you know, these assholes would have one step ahead of me being like, yeah, but what are you, what are you going to say? That's like going to back that up. And at the time I was like, fuck, I don't know. Good question. My yeah, good question. My experience in the world as a human <laughs> is valid. Right. But then I was like, yeah. So uh, through standpoint theory, um, you can all go fuck yourselves. And, um, I am amazing. Thank you. Now you've got receipts. I literally have fucking receipts. And like for a long time, I really tried to send all those receipts to everyone who tried to ask. And, you know, I feel like I used to make, a. I don't want to put it as making more of an effort, but I feel like I felt the, like my internalized white guilt as a means of, I was like, I, I will be good and I will try and alleviate the pressure of like other First Nation folk and other brown people and like, other First Nation people of colour so that, you know, I can use my whiteness as a tool to navigate these spaces. And, you know, to a degree I still definitely stand by that. But, like, fuck me, I do not like to be appealing to the white people. No. I'm done. Yeah. I'm exhausted. Because there is, like, a – I definitely feel – we've talked about this a lot as Mm. we've been doing the podcast that, like, we have a – like, as mixed race people, especially if you're white and you're mixed – you probably need to and you probably have some space to um, like leverage your privilege in terms of like white privilege um, or, you know, light skin privilege to advocate for people who are in, you know, who are actually going through like really hectic racism and all of those things. But saying that kind of is like almost a like it's almost bad for us as well. Mm. Like <laughs> it's, it's really hard. Mm. And I think something that I've been thinking a lot about, and it links to what you were saying about your white guilt Mm. in the mix, um, is that I think because we often have to do this for ourselves, Mm. these are the conversations that we've been having internally for, in my case, 32 years. Um, And so, like, so then it becomes difficult because you feel as if I've done all this work like, I can help you. I've, I've done my homework. Like, let me pass it on. But also, I'm tired as well because I've been thinking about this for 32 years and you've just been living your life. And so, it's a balance. It is. It's such a bizarre balance as well because, like, you know, institutionally, it's like I will fucking pave space and I will carve that space. And, like, if, oh, you want to tokenize me and I'm, like, your only like first nation friend like that's embarrassing babe that's embarrassing that's weird and i hate that and so if it's like a paid opportunity i'm like okay cool have you tried this person this person and this person because if you haven't what the fuck are you doing mm-hmm. these people just you know the homework that we've all had to be navigating for the past however long is like okay so you didn't get the assignment like <laughs> You didn't get the brief. In oh. June 2020, everyone was like, oh, my God, what is what is black people? <laughs> literally, literally that. Like, it's like, oh, so the blacks matter. No. What does cultural diversity mean? 
actually, like, all these diversity and inclusion, like, HR teams are just like, oh, so it's not all white women. Oh. Can you tell us what standpoint theory is? Standpoint theory refers to um, basically one person's, like, life experience is a valid experience and is a valid way of talking of two things and that you don't actually inherently need, like, academic backup and that everything you say in your experiences are very fucking valid. So, yeah. So, culturally, it's deadly. Like The Being Biracial podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, this is all standpoint theory. And it's, um, you know, like uh, Nakata speaks to it a bit and so does Eileen Morton Robinson. Mm. Um, yeah, it's great. Well, and I guess, like, because if you – have to back up all of your art, all of your points about um, your experience. It's it's really comes boils down to who has access to education like that. Absolutely, and that's classist as yeah. well. Like yeah. classism, ableism, like you know, racism is all thrown in the mix. Yeah, yep, yep. They all intersect. One of our previous guests, who is also an artist, talked about um, trying to navigate that space between identity and art and the difficulty in, well, kind of his concern in um, artworks and this, like, stage that we're in where identity is really central to a lot of art's practice. And I guess from his perspective, he was worried that, like, art will move on and then where will we leave everyone else? Um, I love making art that is related to where I come from, where I've been, like that just feels the most natural to me. I completely understand that concern though. This is something that I'm sure that you're thinking about as well in your arts practice. So what do you reckon? I reckon that it makes me immediately think of something that I heard someone say a couple of years back and they said, damn, blackfellas, we're really, we're hot topics at the minute and like we're a hot commodity. So let's jump in while we can because who knows for how long we're going to be in fashion for mm, brutal so brutal but like apps like ride the ride the wave mm. yeah very that and so i think that that really intertwines with what you're saying kate and how it's terrifying to a degree because you know there's this movement with art of asking these artists to be extremely vulnerable and then what happens if when that shifts and, you know, or there are all these very exposed people from vulnerable communities and we're all just like, oh, fuck, okay, all of our wounds, we're out. We're just going to have to DIY, put some Band-Aids on that ourselves. And, and it's tricky because, like, in navigating identity in art, you also – there's it feels like there's a fine line of not wanting to expose yourself so much that – you're no longer approachable or like that you're too unhinged, too unhinged to uh, work with or anything like that and too, you know, dark or whatever it is, um, too traumatised, lol, um, to be in this space. But enough vulnerability so that some people want to see what's going on. Uh, it feels like a visual diary at this point, like, mm. which is intense and draining. And sounds like some some places that you are being vulnerable, some people don't know how to handle, though you know don't know how to be safe. 
with you and don't know how to hold that as well. So it is a risk. Absolutely. And I think it really, you know, identity really informs a lot of my practice, like all of it, to be fair. But I think there's definitely a shift within myself over the past year or two where I'm bored. I'm so bored of talking about fucking trauma and especially with those people who are just, you know, thriving for it and, like, it's eating into people's, like, or, like, it's feeding people's um, white guilt and white saviour complexes of, like, ah, yeah, tell me that I did bad. Like, what (laughs) the fuck? Like, ah, call me a colonial again. Like, what the (laughs) fuck? And so, yeah, I think, like, for me – I really want to be focusing so much more on joy and I think joy is so, so essential in existing and I think it's bullshit to, you know, be representing and like pushing through this idea of trauma over and over again and not to say that isn't valid because damn, we are simply out here traumatised but (laughs) that being said, I still think it's so essential to be carving that space for joy as well because that is fundamental to our existence and like our ongoing and longevity yeah can you tell us about a part of your art practice that focuses on joy oh yeah I mean I love funny I think joy and funny for me go hand Mm, in hand mm, mm. um I think like my drag is pretty funny my drag is very um I think, like, the bio I have for it is, like, come slut bimbo clown. <laughs> Hi, children. <laughs> right, right. It's really rogue. And, like, people at my work are like, I would love to come see you perform. I'm like, I don't think you do, babe. Mm-mm. I'm all, like, getting my boyfriend titties out and, you know, who knows? Maybe there's some very explicit nudity. Like, I couldn't tell you. But, yeah, like, I think that's just meant to be funny. Like, it's mocking white women. And I'm into it. I love mocking white woman. Ah, <laughs> uh, me the fuck too. It's such a delight. It's also really easy. They do it to themselves. <laughs> they literally do it to themselves. Like some of the shit that comes out of their mouth, it's like, I couldn't have even thought that you could say such a thing. The caucasity is obscene, but I will lap this up. It's mm. very much, oh, that's got to go in the group chat. I literally wrote a poem once in a club because I was so angry. I had this white woman come up to me and tell me to shut up during an acknowledgement of country because I did like a whoop because I was so shocked that an acknowledgement of country was happening in a space like that. And I was like, yeah. And this white woman literally had the fucking caucasity to come up to me and be like, um, you need to quiet down. You're being disrespectful. And I just fucking lost it. So I'm like, I'm pretty pissed as well at this point. Like I've had a few drinks and I'm sitting in the corner just furiously typing on my phone and yeah, made like, I made one of my friends go tell this white woman why I was pissed off at her. And I was like, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to talk to them. You can tell them how they fucked up. I'm not doing it. And then she came over and apologised, like, but it was so backhanded. It was like, yeah, I'm sorry that you feel like that. (laughs) And I was like, damn. I'm a lesbian, so I can't be racist. Simply that. Simply that. It's like, 
Um, I have wait the meme. I have ADHD, and my parents got divorced, so um, I can't be racist. So sorry. Do you have that poem? Okay, so me being aggressive in the club was white woman. You do not get to police me. You do not get to tell me how I can and cannot react at any point at all points. You are not allowed to tell me to be quiet. You are not allowed to command my actions. You do not have this power. I refuse to give you the right to colonize my words and actions, white woman. White woman, learn your place. This is not one of them. This land is not one of them. You are a guest. You benefit of stolen lands that have never had sovereignty ceded. You are gluttonous. Yet you have the audacity that you have any weight in telling me of what I can and cannot do, taking autonomy away from my sacred body, sacred voice. White woman, you are mistaken if you think your faux political correctness can affect how I interact with my own aboriginality, my identity. Scarce are your morals and scarce are your thoughts. Scarce is your knowledge of me, my position, my place, my standing. Sit down, be quiet, and teach yourself. Yes! Yes! Do you have another poem that you wanted to share? Yeah, so this one, um, oh, it's a bit emo now that I think about it, but we can. It's okay. We're emo. We're emo. We can pick and choose. Um, So skin, Yulini. So Yulini um, is the Wiradjuri word for skin. So it's titled My Wiradjuri Colour. Mine white, Gaban, hers dark, Beluga, grandmother, sorry business. Feeling alone, Gulmanina. Didn't know why she was dark, Beluga, and I was white, Gaban. White people looking at me funny. Wonder why she might have thought, Nyane. Sometimes feeling unsociable, Nandwal. A lot of feeling unhappy, Nangara. Thinking of my skin, Yulini. Thinking of hers. Thinking of my sister's. Thinking of my father's. Brain is pretty unwell, Mambua, most days. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a depressed kid, if nothing else. Like just working through some of that intergenerational trauma. I mean we all got it. Oh yeah, yeah. It's in my back pocket. Uh. <laughs> in New Zealand it's it's slightly, you know, my father was the keeper as the keeper of my culture. Mm. Um, and I have a similarly strained relationship with my father. I do talk to him and love him somehow. Um, but you know, uh, I had to go around him to get access to my culture. Mm. And for me in New Zealand, I would say that it's not that difficult. Like Maori people, uh, around the language has been revitalized since the seventies. Um, so it's quite easy for me to access resources about my culture so I'm wondering how you are finding that yeah it's it's tricky but I also think I'm in a very very privileged position to be one of the biggest mobs on the east side of the continent not a flex just a fact 
Um, and with that, there's been a lot of information that's been made accessible um, and language, which was, yeah, Wiradjuri was considered a, or pretty close to being considered a dead language um, not that long ago. Um, yeah, less than 20 years. Holy shit. Yeah. And then um, Uncle Stan Grant Sr. publicly announced that he was going to revitalise it. And because it was in this, like, lecture format, they just kind of had to do it. Yes. You know? Right. I was like, Uncle knew. If he's getting recorded and paid to say this thing at this institution, like, he's like, that's my guy. This man and I, we're going to be revitalising Wiradjuri language. So... You know, I'm in a very lucky position in a lot of ways that um, I can Google stuff. Um, I have an app on my phone called the Wiradjuri Dictionary and I've learned a lot of culture through connecting with people who live locally in Nam. So, yeah, I feel very lucky in that regard. Mm. Have you been able to make those links yourself or is it through the university institution or how has that come about oh the university what a place um it's funny a lot of the connections i have in nam are really through the university and you know there was we had the biggest influx we had like our year we went through this um special program called the bachelor of arts extended and so in the first year we were all asked to do this like extra year as like a bridging bridging year and it was like exclusive to first nation students and we had like 60 people or something wild it was huge it was like really big we're like whoa and so much so they had to like split up the classes which had never happened before it was a big deal 2016 big year and then from that though the retention rate i reckon maybe five of us have graduated Ooh. Oh, what does yeah. that say about the institution that you were in? So much. It speaks fucking volumes. And like, yeah, with that, it's like, yes. Unfortunately, I have met a lot of these people through uni, but damn, by no means do I associate it with them anymore. Mm. Um, and I doubt they do either. <laughs> um, I think that'd be pretty heartbroken if, like, I was like, yeah, we met through uni. They'd be like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, like, even my my drag mom, um, Stone Motherless Cold, is, we technically met at uni. And people are like, oh, how did you meet? And she will look at me and be like, almost, like, shake her head, like, don't say it. Don't say it. It wasn't uni. Don't say it. And I'm like, yeah, like, at uni, like, la, la, la. And she's like, what the fuck? And now you've announced it publicly. Great. Yeah. <laughs> we'll tag them in it. Love you, mummy. Um, yeah, so funny. Again, there are those like slight uni ties and slight institutional ties, but ultimately we just DIY'd. Uh, let's talk about drag. How's your oh, relationship bloody. with drag? Oh, it's a funny one, hey. Um, I love talking about drag. It's so silly. It's so camp. It's so joyous. Um, I started out... As Stone, who I just mentioned previously, actually asked me, was like, mate, I really need you to pull your, your neck out for me. Um, I've got a big favour. Can you please be a drag king for me as part of this big show that I've got coming up? And I was like, you know, at the time, like, I didn't, you know, I thought I was a little cis woman. And, yeah, 
so I did that and then we did this big huge performance at Hamer Hall holy shit yeah like that was my first that was my intro to drag Whoa. That's a flex. Absolute flex. Uh, It's hard for some. No, truly. Like, I am so, so lucky and I'm so stoked to have, you know, been surrounded by the people that I'm surrounded by. Literally that day that we performed, it was like that night. I was like, no, I'm non-binary. No. Oh, shit. Oh, and I've started to crack. My little trans egg is cracking. Um, and you know, I thought I was non-binary for two years, God bless. And then from there, and I was still doing like drag king, but it was like extra campy, extra Mm. campy drag king. Like Like, a bit of glitter on on your mustache. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like it was very clowny. Oh. I love clown makeup. I'm really obsessed with clown makeup. I think it's so funny. I think it just takes the absolute piss out of everyone. And I'm like, that's a gag. Um, yeah, am I going to impersonate a gender? <laughs> no, a clown. Truly, like, oh, you thought you were getting a drag king? No, today I've decided to come as a cowboy clown. Thank you so much. You're all so welcome. And, you know, that did kind of change over time a little bit because I was, I was like, oh, I'm really confused about gender. Hey, babe, like, oh, this things are not sitting right. I've got questions. I have no answers. And so when I started to medically and socially transition, um, I just had to like transition my drag, which was really funny. (laughs) (laughs) And it was so wild. And then like, so my, I'm like, okay, it's not actually my drag dead name, but like, it feels like that. I'm like, so it's Mo Money. And then I Mm. shifted to Mora Money, you know, very brave, Mm. very brave. Um, Yeah. And so... You know, I love doing girl drag because I love being camp. I love taking the piss out of white women. And I felt like that was something that I didn't have as much of a right to or as much of a space to do that when I was doing boy drag. You know, I was like, by being one of the girls in drag, it makes me one of the boys. Mm, yep, 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 yep. Which yep. is so funny. Yeah. I just get to be treated like one of the, the camp Little twinks, little fags. Am I allowed to say? Yes, say I mean, whatever like, you want. Yeah, you say it because it's your identity. Yeah. 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 My drag is like white face, which is also yes. funny. Hilarious. Hilarious. And then lots of color. Like chaos. I know because I have stroke <laughs> Love. No shame. Obsessed. Yeah. yeah. And the color combos are always like pink and blue for trans, you know. I'm interested in like gender and aboriginal culture is mm. there is there like a pre-colonial obviously we've got to talk about pre-colonial stuff mm. but is there like a pre-colonial legacy of queer people or another gender in aboriginal culture oh yeah so why i identify in my bio as brother boy so brother boy refers to like trans boy trans man um and same with sister girls yeah, I think there's this notion of gender in a pre-colonial context, which is just so hard to even relate to in a colonial context, right? Like pre-colonial, you know, quote-unquote women and thinking about that in 2022, very different, very different. And, you know, a lot of the spaces were like and language groups and like, uh, you know, mobs, 
we're matriarchal. Mm. And, but obviously these fucking gammon, white settler gooses, um, just to put a nice light spin on that, um, <laughs> when they were doing all this anthropology grossness, decided that, oh, no, because, like, we're the men, we need to go talk to the men. And, you know, like, not to say and disrespect um, any of my elders, lol, um, but, you know, at the time and what was being written is, like, these fellas are like, oh, this is a bit deadly. Like, oh, you want to ask me? Okay. Finally, someone's chatting to me about stuff. Right. And just like, oh, yeah, yeah, you could say that um. I am the cool guy around here. Um, and then okay. I run the shit. I run the show. Um, yeah, fully. And so there is – and there's, like, notes about that and, like, um, almost, like, amendments being, like, the women looked at the men very, like, disapprovingly. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, there's that element and then there's also this element of it's not as explicitly spoken about, but, you know, in community we've spoken about it and I've, like, spoken to different elders about it. Um, you know, if there was for like women's business and men's business, if it didn't work for you and you're like, "Mm -mm, these jobs, this body, I don't know about it. You would just do the other thing and you would go to what made sense. Um, yeah. So I think there is such a huge, huge lineage and amazing, fantastic, queer black fellas and queer black bodies that have existed for millennia and yet you know here we are and everyone's like oh i don't know about it eh (laughs) yeah colonizations like came through and like stamped it all out and rewrote history and was like oh trans mm -mm. black and trans mm -mm, mm." there are so many like gender diverse queer black fellas that i'm like okay Okay, um, not to say it's a DNA thing, but no, no, I don't know. I've just got questions. Mm-hmm. And th- it's annoying that the only the only place you can answer them are like in those anthropological journals. Oh, right, it's so gross. Those those some reading some of those journals about like from early settlers vomit um it's so funny because they just like read themselves oh fully. They're like oh we happened upon this perfectly manicured garden and we don't know how it got here at all we have no idea how this could have appeared here it's almost as if somebody created it but not the community that was living nearby because they didn't speak to us <laughs> and it's like oh fuck me like damn you were just reading yourself you dumb dog like yeah, so dumb <laughs> like actually obscene so before we were talking about joy in your artwork mm. and it sounds like you get a lot of joy out of drag and I am interested to know about joy coming through in your other art practices because you mentioned before about like, you know, being trauma porn essentially. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that is kind of the case in like lots of movies that are coming out like and, and the representation of Aboriginal people as a whole. Like I watched Rabbit Proof Fence while I was at school. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. – Trauma porn, the house down boots. Oh, yeah. So tell me about other ways that joy comes through in your artwork. Mm, amazing. So I think for me, I just realized, I realized like a few years back, I was like, damn, I make this really serious art. I write really serious poetry, but I'm not a very serious person. This feels very weird and I don't understand. 
And I think I'm putting on this serious tone to be taken seriously, which is a whole thing within itself. Mm -hmm. And now I'm at this point, I don't fucking care. And if people want to see me as a joke, I'm like, go off, same. You know, it's like, I just want funny. I want people to be able to laugh and enjoy looking at art. Um, So this exhibition, a solo show that I have coming up in Launceston uh, through August as part of Sawtooth Gallery, I am doing a piece that is, I think, very funny. And it's a video work of me dancing naked with my back to the audience um, because I have a big Goanna tattoo. Oh, yes. Mm. And I just really thought it would be very funny to just see a little naked bum and little dancing Goanna, like Gurudani. Yeah. Just having a little, like, Because it's going to move wiggle. with your body. Yeah. Yes. And I'm like, yeah, Gurudani dancing. Like, you get to bring it to life. That's it. And so, you know, I think that's very funny. And I think, like, the absurd is very funny. I love absurdity. You know, another part of the installation is this paint by numbers, but Diamante edition. Yes, 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 Andy. And it's this Goanna and it will be submerged in resin. And I just think that within itself is technically hilarious. Pretty camp. It is so camp. Oh, like I just get to do this really cute Diamante fucking Goanna. And then have it hung. And I'm like, yeah, it's art. You wouldn't get it. I fucking said it was art, so it's art. Yeah, you know. Well, I think that white people get to just, like, make silly, whimsical art all of the time. Literally. Like, just because you're talking about your identity doesn't mean that it has to be fucking serious. Yes. Like, why can't we be whole, multifaceted people as well? Yeah, why can't we have joy and humour and gags the same way that all these white people do all these boring white people do. boring settlers my god Mm-mm. i just want i want gags i want funny sounds like you're busting out of like a little pigeonhole corner i'm trying yeah but i mean that being said i did just read those two poems and they're like very like yeah fuck you settler <laughs> so i mean sometimes you got to put the middle finger out don't you oh truly and i'm here to do it first yeah i think it's imperative to have like these different ways of joy being represented and queer black joy. Like, what the fuck? How iconic. Like, I'm doing this mural and I'm literally painting neon animals. And I'm like, that's cute camp and fun. Yep. I've been thinking about this a lot lately because, and good for you for coming to it in your 20s. I'm like... (laughs) A bit jealous. Jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Being biracial updates is like I'm moving away from full-time work and full-time lawyering and all of that kind of thing. And part of that thinking for me has been that I have like felt such a sense of responsibility Mm. that, you know, for all of the privilege and opportunity that I have had, that like I need to do something good in the world and that that doing something good is – community lawyering or you know whatever it might be and I think for me that pipeline is from uh my grandma getting married really young and having many children and being illiterate in her own language and the fact that she wouldn't have in her wildest imagination she would have never conceived of a a grandchild who was 
in my position. Mm. And so then with that Mm. comes great responsibility. Mm. And so I've been kind of living out that sense of responsibility that I have to do better in the world and make it a better place. Like an entirely naive and self-centred conception of what social justice looks like, Mm. uh, acknowledging that completely. But it's kind of, you know, like I, within those systems, feel so um, disappointed. Mm. (laughs) And then with that disappointment comes a sense of like, well, why can't I just do what brings me joy Mm. instead? Like why do I have to hold this sense of responsibility Mm. and instead – yeah, why why can't I paint a mural and why can't I run a silly art class? Um, because all all of those things and all of those steps that you know, my grandmother, my mother, my my father, my you know, mm. the other side as well have done is for me to be here, and I have the privilege and the space and the time and the education and the money and mm. all of the things to be able to do it, whatever the fuck I want. So let's start doing it. Yeah, let's start harvesting that joy and bringing that joy back in because I just think that there is such an immense pressure for people of colour to be exceptional overachievers and, you know, quote-unquote fantastic examples of your demographic. And that is cooked. Let's pivot and actually just go for joy because these colonials aren't being questioned why they're doing fun, silly things. We want fun, silly. To move away from joy (laughs) in the complete opposite direction. Something that we've talked about a bit in this podcast is um, the feeling that people have had of being fetishized. And I'm wondering if that has been something for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think like because you look at me and you're like, oh, yeah, white person, whatever. That's fine. I've, again, made my peace. Really made my peace. Um But then, you know, there's that element on first glance and then people being like, oh, you're an Aboriginal. Oh, wow. That's a bit nice. And, like, they'll talk to their friends about it and it's fucking weird. But, you know, I think I have a privilege in so many ways of, like, not being racially, like, profiled and then racially fetishized initially. Um, but then also navigating being fetishized through my trans body and being a very campy little guy. Um, yeah. And I think because I refuse to date people or like sleep with people who fetishize me, lol. And, you know, I've spoken about it, um, to like friends and family about the dating pool just gets so small. It's like... (laughs) so so small and I'm like oh cool okay so like if it's a circle I'm gonna say pizza it's a whole pizza that's the dating pool and for every like shitty thing that is normative and very like cis like cis centric or like heteronormative it's like take a slice away maybe take two and you know it's like oh can I be culturally safe with this person Mm mm-hmm can I actually be seen as my gender and am I going to be respected in those spaces? Am I going to be literally safe, like physically safe and emotionally safe and mentally safe? Um, 
And is there also room like for growth? And am I even attracted to those remaining people? Yeah, have you got like a slice of onion left of right. the pizza? Like, like what some trashy left? capsicum to the side? Like crunchy like half a crust? Yes. What the fuck? Am I attracted to those people? Are they attracted to me? <laughs> I'm like, is that three people in Nam? Not Gammon, but like, <laughs> fuck me. It's it's wild. And so I think it's so yuck not to be a cliche but it's so interwoven is it it's just like a it's just like a trapdoor like dating is like you know you're just like when is the trapdoor gonna open mm. when am i gonna fall through it and onto like spikes yes <laughs> like i've i've been like having like pillow talk with someone and they have dropped the end bomb oh yeah and like they i was like ah <laughs> See ya. Next question. <laughs> that is hell. But, you know, like it's just, it's, and I can't, like if I'm going through that, what I can't imagine what the fuck yeah. is happening with you. Fuck. Fucking hell. It's like, damn. That's, oh, damn. That is just like such a painfully common thing though, right? It's yeah. like, I hear it. I think like it's hell. So you mentioned that you are almost finished your university degree. Six plus <laughs> years later. What's next for Eli? Mm. <laughs> I am uh, so busy still somehow and I'm obsessed. So, yeah, the solo exhibition. Uh, I'm also part of Black Design, which is uh, a jewellery course and like silversmithing, goldsmithing course. Um facilitated through RMIT and Career Heritage Trust. Um, so cool! Yeah, that sounds fucking sick. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the, the group is so phenomenal. Um, I'm so lucky and so fortunate. What and kind of stuff are you making? Lol. So initially I went in and I was like, I want really funny, silly shit. And like was like, I'm going to make butt plugs. <laughs> <laughs> and like I'm the youngest there by about 10 years as well. So, like, I'm giving this presentation about, like, what I want to work on. I'm, like, I'm thinking, like, uh, Prince Alberts and um, really funny butt plugs. And everyone in the room is just, like, kind of, like, gobsmacked, eyes open. <laughs> like, did you just say that? Butt plug? Butt, butt plug? <laughs> and so, you know, I, like, and I do still want to do those things in the future because I still think they're fucking hilarious. But I think the tone of the course kind of is gearing in a different direction so now in a shocking twist to no one except Eli <laughs> Eli is now reading the room uh, moi reading the room I know I know fuck um, so I'm making a metal scarf which is hard to describe now that I've just said it as a metal would it be scarf. like um, chain mail? yeah that's what I was just about to say it's it's not quite it's it's came from the concept of thinking about armor so like yes and yes yes in a way but maybe not as intricate as chain mail it's like these tiles these tiles these tiles of silver sounds like scales babe we love us you know i'm a lizard boy i'm a guy who likes goanna i'm a guy who likes a lizard i'm a reptile kind of guy yeah scale vibes so, yeah, and it's kind of – it's got, like, words written on it. It's actually a 25-word poem. Um, 25 words because I'm 25 years old. Ow, ow, ow. Mm. Yeah, it's like a – I suppose a reflection, so like a, a word for every year. Um, 
Yeah, it's cute. It's a, it's a little serious, but it's not too serious. It's like poetry level serious. Should we end this week's episode with you reading us your 25 words? Whoa, that's hot. Yeah, yes. let's go. Okay, so this does not have a title um, because it is a sculptural piece. From Williams to make me now money from country to travel to home now guest fragile rattled blood bones comfortable resting learning self and love. Thank you so much, Eli. Beautiful, stunning, amazing. Obsessed. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in and chatting to us today. Thank you. We've loved every minute. Ah, me too. It's been very silly. <laughs> oh, it's been a real vibe. Thank you so much. And we hope that everyone listening takes a little piece of the joy that we talked about today from this conversation. This podcast is hosted, edited and produced by us, Kate Robinson and Maria Birch-Moranga. Just two wahine making a podcast. The music that you're listening to is by the Green Twins and this is their amazing song, Take It Slow. You can find it wherever you listen to your music. This project was supported through the Maribyrnong City Council Community Grants Program and the Victorian Government through Creative Victoria. We would also like to thank Auspicious Arts for all their help. We love hearing from people that are listening to Being Biracial. It honestly feels special every single time someone reaches out. You can find us on Instagram at Being Biracial Podcast or send us an email at Being Biracial Podcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you left us a review. And if you like this episode, why not subscribe? Bye. Bye.